I remember having to go to the library to print out the walkthrough for this game because it's really hard. Welcome to Talking Simulator, a series of short conversations about video games with interesting people who play them. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and in this episode, I discuss The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask with my guest, Shay Thompson. So I'm Shay Thompson. I'm a presenter and I guess journalist working in the games industry. The BBC referred to me as that, so I'm just like running with it now. Yeah, I've done some work with McLaren, with BAFTA, with the BBC. Usually just any place that will ask me to make words about video games with my mouth. I'm there. <laughs> 2021 is the 35th anniversary of the Zelda franchise, and as such, people have been looking back at its history. Previous guest, Keza McDonald, ranked the games for The Guardian, which provoked a lot of discussion, though most seemed to agree that Breath of the Wild deserved to be at the top. But not Shay. When the BBC Sounds podcast Press X to Continue, that Shay appears on, chose to induct Breath of the Wild into its Hall of Game, she had a lot to say about it. So for the final episode of this series of Talking Simulator, I thought I'd get her on the show to talk about a Zelda game she does love, Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask came out 21 years ago on the Nintendo 64. When did you first play it? I I would have played this, I want to say, like the end of secondary school. No, that's not true. The end of primary school. So I would mm -hmm. have been about 11 or 12. Yeah. So that's when I played it. So not when it first came out then? No. Because you are a young thing. I am. I am. But a wee thing. <laughs> so how did you come to play it then? Like, did you know someone else who had it or you just saw it in a shop and thought it looked cool? So I had, which I actually still own, it's right there, the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition on GameCube. Mm. And it had Ocarina of Time, something else, and then Majora's Mask. It also had a demo for Wind Waker, I believe. And yeah, I was like, no, no, I just want to play this really weird looking game. And yeah, the love affair kind of happened from there. Okay, so you came to like multiple Zelda games at the same time and you were like, no, Majora's Mask, this is the one for me. Yeah, because I know I definitely played or at least watched my brother play Ocarina of Time and then kind of experienced it for myself later on. So I was already familiar with that. But Majora's Mask, yeah, kind of came to it for the first time as part of this wider collection. Okay, and how would you describe it for someone who hasn't played it? It's, so it's a time loop game that kind of takes place over the course of three days and you're trying to stop the moon from destroying the earth. <laughs> that is Majora's Mask. It's very weird. <laughs> but in the world of Zelda, like what makes it a Zelda game? I That's a very good question because like you, if you think of like Zelda games, you think of like dungeons, you think of Zelda herself. Like she's not really a big part of this game. There are much fewer dungeons I think it's because of the tone and the setting that it has. There are callbacks to um, the Skull Kid, like, teaching Link, like, I think it's the Song of Time in the first game. Oh, okay, so there's continuity. Yeah, which is, it's very different because they were, up until that point, kind of considered very contained set pieces, like, on their own. So to have this, like, continuity that is actually kind of minute <laughs> I think about it um it was a huge deal but you've also got like very familiar mechanics if you're going from like Ocarina of Time straight into Majora's Mask you've got like you know your bows your bombs all that stuff that was actually kind of locked off from Link 
until you became an adult is like readily available to you as a child in Majora's Mask. Well, I was reading uh, some articles about Majora's Mask. I think one that Keza wrote maybe and then one from somebody else. And I think they were saying that uh, it uses the same engine as Ocarina of Time and reuses a bunch of assets. So that might be why there's that continuity there. That makes sense to me because, I mean, the games visually they're the same picture like they're, they're literally the same which i mean if that was to be released now people would be up in absolute arms about it but yeah. for the time i think we were just like yeah okay this is fine and also because yeah mentioned briefly about the tone like this game is a lot darker in tone compared to ocarina of time so a lot of that stuff can be forgiven they are very very different games I was going to ask about that, actually. The image you have of the game, especially as someone who hasn't played it, is just that this is Zelda, but creepy. Like the moon is terrifying and just the game seems really, really dark. And is that what appealed to you or did you kind of get over that to get into the game? I think it appealed to me. I was like, this is really, really weird. And I, I want to <laughs> know about this. I want to know why this moon is so scary and so menacing and wants to wipe out all these innocent people. And then... Yeah, I kind of was weirdly drawn to the creepiness as time goes on. And then just kind of filling in like, I don't know, the gaps in my head where, you know, you're going through the time loop and there are really terrible things happening. And like Link, obviously, like nothing's changed with him, but these people are like reliving this trauma in front of Link, like over and over and over again, depending on how many times you need to rewind time. It's like, that's really dark. <laughs> that's really <laughs> dark for a game released like 21 years ago. So what else do you like about the game then? Like the the characters, the story, the mechanics, what kind of appealed to you? I do think the mechanics are, you know, having the decision and the choice, I suppose, to like rewind time if you like messed up, I think is quite, I don't know, it, it revolutionary feels like a massive stretch. But, you know, along those lines. <laughs> 21 years ago, it could be revolutionary. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I think so. Especially if you compare it to a game like Breath of the Wild that feels so aimless and like if you kind of lose your way it's like right okay I have literally no idea what I'm doing whereas like if you do lose your way in Majora's Mask you can kind of rewind time go back to the first day and you know kind of do things over and that kind of empowering the player in that aspect was really compelling to me because I remember having to go to the library to print out the walkthrough for this game because <laughs> it's really hard and just, you know, actually having that purpose was, yeah, it was great for me as a kid. Oh my goodness. Tell me more about that. How far in did you get before you were like, right, I've got to take this tag? <laughs> it's actually quite embarrassing because it's not that far. <laughs> you get to like a, a swamp because you need to like basically free these four giants. And it, I think it's the first giant that I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to this guy. Uh, so I went to the library. I think I found some money down the back of the couch. I was like, let's, let's print out these pages. And it took ages because it was the early 2000s. Yeah, I was going to say, this is like pre... I mean, you were a child for one yeah. thing, so I think it's forgivable. But also the internet existed, obviously, but probably your access to the internet was not as convenient as it is nowadays. So yeah, going to the library, getting a walkthrough makes sense. Absolutely. And yeah, it would have been like dial-up. We have the internet, but it was dial-up. So it was ages like i'm pretty sure it was a good few hours that i was just waiting for this walkthrough to print out because it's long it's really long like i think the game <laughs> is like 12 hours long which back then that was a lot of time you know so you've talked before about a specific mechanic from the game which is the songs that you learn on the ocarina was that one of your favorite things about it like why was it so memorable for you i think because you had to remember like the songs or 
you had to write them down that kind of i don't know extra interactivity it's not like you had a menu and it had like all of the songs in there unless it does and i just didn't discover that as a child (laughs) i really liked the idea of because on the gamecube controller you had like the kind of c stick with the like the actual like arrow inputs and i remember like writing the arrows down i was like right song of time is half down doing all of that and yeah i think it just felt very personal to me Mm. you know being able to remember those songs and the songs are gorgeous like again uh you've got you know the song of healing uh song of storms but then you've also got like i think it's called the new wave bossa nova and it's just like this bossa nova track so you go and find these eggs and they hatch and they're like, <laughs> they then teach you this song that you then go and uh, show off to somebody else. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And yeah, the songs like really stand out in my mind, even that Bossa Nova, which doesn't sound like it would be very memorable, but I'm like, yeah, you know, new wave Bossa Nova. It's really, it's really catchy. <laughs> I remember Wonder Boy in Monster World on the Sega Mega Drive that I had when I was a kid. We got it from a car beat sale and that had a a similar mechanic where you had an ocarina and you had to learn songs. I think the thing that appealed to me about that mechanic was like, it's kind of like you're saying, like you had to write it down or like remember it. It kind of brings the game into the real world in a way that I think we were all looking for when we were kids playing games and we were thinking about what they could be right and trying to imagine the future of them and it's like ooh, when you have to, ha- to actually step out of the game and do something in the real world i don't know it's like yeah i'm that much closer to maybe getting an ocarina yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> even that's not the case <laughs> So you talked about the time loop in this game. Was this the first time you'd come across that kind of narrative in a game or in general? I think so. Because like obviously time loop games have had like a boom, especially in the last few years. But I think it's the first, I don't want to say the first ever, but definitely the first that I can remember like really interacting with. And yeah, like that makes sense that I I identify with it and like protect it so strongly and then do feel very appreciative of the newer time loop games that have come out. What does the time loop add to a Zelda game in this case? Like, how does it improve the experience? I think it gives you a sense of urgency that I just didn't feel in Breath of the Wild. And I think that is quite important to my game playing experiences. The moon is going to crush the earth in three days. If that's not a sense of urgency, then I really don't know what is. And yeah, that just made me want to like play to the end and find out what happened and make sure that, you know, this town of really weird people doesn't get crushed under this terrifying moon. And again, yeah, that adds a lot to the experience for me. What do you think it is about you and the kind of person you are that means that you feel like you need this kind of urgency in the games that you play? I I just care a lot. I think that's what it is. Like I I care about settings a lot and I I want the game to want me to care, right? Mm. And maybe it's a very cheap way to kind of reduce that time loop setting to this thing that makes me care about it, but it does. I'm quite an empathetic person in my like real life. And so this game using these mechanics to get me to care even more about this world. And I have to emphasize these characters are very weird. There's like Tingle, like the short kind of know me guy, like very odd, just really weird. <laughs> oh, this is the game that Tingle is from. Yeah, yeah. Right. So Tingle, um, you've also got these really mean kids who like make you play these horrible mini games. But like the idea of those kids getting crushed by the moon, like that's heartbreaking to me. <laughs> Nightmare material. Truly. Oh my God. <laughs> 
life. <laughs> so as you said, time loops are experiencing a bit of a resurgence in video games right now. I mean, there's so many. There's Outer Wilds, Elsinore, Minute, and then games that aren't even out yet, like 12 Minutes and Deathloop, mm. right? So why do you think they're proving so popular right now? I think there's a lot to be done with them, right? And also because of the way that games have technologically advanced, like there are so many new stories that you can tell, like even with all those examples that you gave, each one of those games is are so distinct from each other just because of the stories that it allows you to tell. Like, so you've got Elsinore, which is a retelling of Hamlet with a much more diverse setting and Deathloop, which is taking on like a black exploitation like setting, which I don't think I've ever played a game that has used that as a backdrop or as a theme, like ever. So, you know, wildly different from each other. But that core mechanic, I think, is you're allowed to play with a lot more things than, say, I don't know, like just your regular run of the mill sandboxy GTA-esque shooter. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> So I interviewed the creators of Outer Wilds and we talked about the the resonance of time loop narratives and we kind of theorized that especially those ones that have this kind of apocalyptic angle like Outer Wilds does, like Majora's Mask does, right? It's the end of the world that you're trying to prevent. They maybe feel particularly apt at the moment, like given global events in, in the last few years, like maybe people subconsciously are longing for a way to go back in time and fix things, right? <laughs> Do you think that now is a good time to play games like that and specifically Majora's Mask? I hadn't put that together until you just said that. That is a wickedly good point. I think in a way it is a good time to play it because there is so much that I wish I could have gone back and done at the beginning of the lockdown, having had the hindsight that I do now. And I think it's about, again, empowering the player and you know, taking back some form of control because that was the thing, right? We felt so helpless this entire time and any form of media that gives you a way to kind of reclaim that control, I think is is an instant win. So one of the big reasons that I wanted to talk to you about Majora's Mask is because there have been some discussions recently among uh, our friends and colleagues about which is the best Zelda game. So both on the BBC Sounds podcast, Press X to Continue, that you are on, mm -hmm. and also after Keza published an article uh, ranking the games for The Guardian. So... First up, how did the conversation go on the podcast? So I actually missed the first part of the conversation because on the episode prior to that one, like we've got like the Hall of Game where we induct uh, games into the Hall of Game. That name every time gets me. <laughs> and instead of doing Ocarina of Time, they did Breath of the Wild. And so coming back to it, the next episode, I was like, what do you mean you did it over Ocarina of Time? And I now said it as if like, you know, this, like, of course I'd put Breath of the Wild over Ocarina of Time. And I was like, wait, just wait a second. Like there is such a magical feeling kind of playing Ocarina of Time for the first time or just any time like you know the swells of music that you have and traveling over Hyrule with you know the music kind of going in the background like that is such a beautiful and wonderful experience whereas like you kind of go into Breath of the Wild you wake up from your tomb and then you're shoved into the world basically told figure it out I'm like that is the exact opposite of what you want you know and yeah to see it kind of treated with this reverence I just don't get it I don't get it Jerrica I really don't <laughs> 
Yeah, and uh, the listeners maybe won't know this, but we feel very similarly about Breath of the Wild. It's interesting, you know, you mentioned there that I now kind of dropped very casually that it had been inducted into the Hall of Game. And I think one reason for that is there seems to be this just cultural acceptance among people who talk about video games for a living that it is, quote, the best game ever made. I've seen so many people say that, and you wouldn't think with the number of video games that exist that this many people would be able to agree how has that happened and where have we missed the mark? Like, why does it fall short for us? I genuinely want to know. Like, I think maybe there's something wrong with me that I just don't connect to this game. But I'm thinking back in t- 2017, I had good taste then. I think that's when my taste was like really starting to develop when it came to video games. I just, I didn't get it. Like, you know, talk about a sense of urgency and a sense of purpose in a world like... Breath of the Wild has none of that. And I think it maybe speaks to maybe the popularity of like open world games, right? Where people Mm. think that because you spend more time in a world doing seemingly boring tasks, but you're spending more time in there, that that equals to a good game. But when did that happen? When did we just accept that as fact? And I know people seem to have fun with the boring things that they do in Breath of the Wild. But I'm like, first of all, they're not fun. But also, like, is that all that we're reducing? Like, you know, the best game of all time. That's a very big title. Mm. To kind of put that on this game just seems so wild to me. That wasn't a pun, I promise. My God. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's it's the like make your own fun kind of thing. Like you talk to people and you're like, okay, so what did you like about it? Oh, well, you know, I just, I spent hours just riding my horse and like playing with balloons. And it's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, don't understand. I And it's not even because it's mundane because I've been playing Yakuza Like a Dragon, a series that mm. has never really appealed to me, but this game is like very good and there are a lot of like really silly like mini games like there's one about a guy who set up a cinema like he's he sort of like grassroots cinephile made this kind of cinema no one's going to it so you kind of go to like boost his numbers and like you know give him some money and like you're staying awake through these really niche like movies and like that's the whole mini game is you trying to keep the character awake (laughs) and it's like that's really weird and that is quite mundane but there is a purpose to it and it is completely optional you don't have to do it whereas like the mundane tasks are all that Breath of the Wild is. And that's not, that's really not appealing to me, you know? Yeah, no, I totally get it. And I don't, I don't think we ever will understand. I've tried twice, you. I think I put like some hours into it one time and then lent it to a friend who I can't remember what friend I gave it to. And I probably never get that game back. And I'm not mad at it. Really not. Fair enough. So the Guardian article that Keza wrote, the kind of ranking, I think like 17 Zelda games in in total, Mm. placed Majora's Mask in second place and Breath of the Wild in first. And obviously, you know, we would rather it was the other way around. But it does strike me as interesting because it feels to me like those two games, Breath of the Wild and Majora's Mask, are the two that kind of most deviate Mm. from the traditional Zelda format. You know, a lot of the other Zelda games, they kind of feel like the same game. Mm. You know, you wake up in the village and you do some stuff in the village and then you get your horse and then you go and rescue the princess, etc. How did you feel about Keza's ranking? I mean, Majora's Mask means second. I think if it was second to like, even Skyward Sword, which everyone hates, I really like, (laughs) I wouldn't have felt so attacked. But I just, I don't know, I guess it sort of makes sense. And what you're saying with those two games kind of deviating from the Legend of Zelda path so much, it does resonate with people, you know, people really appreciate a change up or shake up rather. But 
oh, Breath of the Wild. And it, it's it's not even just that list. It's at the top of so many other people's lists. And I just, mm. uh, I don't know. But it's at least good to see Majora's Mask get some recognition because I do feel like people forget about it. I see a lot of love for like Wind Waker, but I'm like, nah, man, Majora's Mask. It's interesting thinking about how these games that are maybe the most popular of the Zelda games, or at least in Keza's mind, are the ones that are different from the traditional format because... You know, we talk a lot in games about how the same game keeps getting re-released and re-released and re-released. And especially with Nintendo, there's kind of this reluctance to break out and try new things. And they just keep reverting back to the the same old IP. Do you think that you would have liked Majora's Mask as much? Would you even have played it if it wasn't a Zelda game? Or did that not really bother you? I Yeah, I don't think it bothered me. Because it feels so vastly different that you could just kind of cut out the Legend of Zelda stuff and it would still be a very good game. And I think that's a testament to the way it tells its story, right? Whereas, I don't know, I feel like there is this reverence of, like, to the Legend of Zelda series that I was going to say the same thing about like Breath of the Wild but flipped in that people seem to put so much on this game because of what it's attached to. People will forgive sins of a game because it is tied to an IP they love, right? Mm, I think that is true. And I, you know, I do think that's the case with Breath of the Wild. I don't think it would have, you know, this much reverence kind of pushed onto it had it not been tied to Legend of Zelda because it, you know at this point had a 35 year run and you know people are saying it's really innovative but in order to innovate it had to have like previous iterations before it right so i think if it just stood on its own i don't think it would have the same kind of fanfare around it i really don't maybe that's controversial but no no i agree with you entirely yeah <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of of kind of remakes and re-releases and things, Majora's Mask was remade for the 3DS. If it was remade again, would you want that? Would you play it if they remade it for like the Switch or something? I would play the hell out of that. Yeah, it's absolutely crying out for a remaster because even though it is, you know, a very, very good Legend of Zelda game, I feel like it a lot of people kind of passed it up or like you know it just didn't land on their radars at all and I think if people got to experience it especially now when we're having this kind of time loop boom it would be fan favorite I like I'm so sure because Wind Waker gets a lot of this praise and I'm like it's fine (laughs) it's fine (laughs) but um yeah Majora's Mask man give us a Switch remake and people will eat that up I guarantee and if that's not the case then I will I don't know eat a hat not my hat but a hat (laughs) just someone's (laughs) so assuming they don't remake it and that doesn't give people a reason to try it if you did want to convince people to go back and give it a go how would you sell it if you want an experience that is genuinely unlike any other if you want a creepy moon threatening to crush this very weird clock town if you want to experience just a genuinely good story that touches on so many different themes especially in its like side stories for a legend of zelda game it has side stories which is unheard of but there's some really cool ones with like uh this kind of dance troupe and then like this couple who are trying to like get married just before the moon crushes the town like it's a lot of like really carefully crafted stories like happening outside of this main big really weird story there's nothing else like it, honestly. And if you're looking for those kind of one in a million experiences, then Majora's Mask is absolutely for you. I'm sold. Yeah, perfect. I'll give it a go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this episode on the day it came out, then it's Shay's birthday tomorrow. 
Go wish her a wonderful day on Twitter at moods underscore JPG. And listen to her thoughts on all sorts of games on the BBC Sounds podcast, Press X to Continue, and many other places. This is the last episode of Series 2 of Talking Simulator, but you can keep up with my other work by following me on Twitter at Jerrica Weber. You can find the podcast at Talking Sim Pod. As soon as I know when I'll start releasing Series 3 of the podcast, I will tweet about it. But do also make sure that you are subscribed in your podcast app of choice. And while you're there, let us know how much you liked this series by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Our music is by Jazz Mickle. You can find her at Jazz Mickle. Talking Simulator is edited by Lemington's loveliest audio person, Dan Parks. If you need to make something sound good, you can find him at Dan C. Parks. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Talk again soon. Majora's masks. Masks? Mask it singular. (laughs) There are a lot of masks in that game, but mask singular for the title.